So bro, this is my Halloween story. My story is about when I was about 12 years old, I went to a friend's house for a Halloween party. I basically just convinced myself that I had imagined all of it, that it was all in my head. He showed us his garden and there were two goats. He was like, I dare you to drink that goat piss. Well, uh, I went to sleep that night and I woke up. So bro, this is my Halloween story. So my birthday is on Halloween. So this is, I'm turning 41 this year. So this is actually scary enough. And well, the older I get, the creepier it gets, you know. Just imagine, I mean, Kurt Cobain died 26 years ago. Isn't that creepy enough, man? Welcome to the Halloween special of Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I'm your host, Jordan Prince, and we are really excited to bring you a very different kind of show today. Normally, we have uh, some conversation with me and the co-host Moritz Batscheide, or sometimes we have interviews with guests, people who are creatives all around the world. That's the normal way that we do things. But today, we've brought in stories from friends and family from all over the world to tell us their favorite Halloween stories. Some of them they believe are 100% true. It has uh, scared them and scarred them, and those will be very interesting spooky stories that personally I love. And we're going to try and balance that with some funny stories that are just about silly things that happened uh, as a kid or at a party or something. So um, no worries about getting too scared, I think. Um, just here at the top of the program, I would like to say that if you uh, if you like this show, if you listen to it a lot, if you support the show... Um, please feel free to go to patreon.com slash Jordan Prince, where you can uh, donate as little as $3 a month to this show and uh, support me and Mo, um, you know, getting new software and maybe even having some food during this weird Corona time. So um, if you like the show, that's where you can support us, patreon.com slash Jordan Prince. And also, uh, wherever you're listening to this, if it's on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, what really helps uh, people find our show, more than you would think, actually, is if you go to give us uh, a like or a review or like a star rating, a comment, anything like that, that really, really boosts the um, the chances of people finding us. So that's really helpful and we really appreciate it. And uh, even just telling some friends by word of mouth about our show goes a long, long way. So thank you so much for those who listen and those who support our show. Okay, <clears throat> so now that that's out of the way, I just want to mention also that I will be personally reading some of the stories that were sent in because either the person doesn't, you know, doesn't like their speaking voice, they don't want to be heard on the radio, uh, maybe their English isn't uh, so good, so they send the story to me to clarify for them. Sometimes they want to remain anonymous. Maybe the stories are kind of personal. That's also totally fine. And uh, that brings me to the first story of the day. I'm going to read the first story of the day. It's uh, from an anonymous uh, listener. And I'm going to go ahead and get it pulled up here. So this story is um, kind of a spooky story. Um, this person believes that it 100% really happened uh, to the characters that they're talking about. Uh, I'm going to give this person a name, let's say Sandra. 
So I'm going to say Sandra sent me this story and uh, she really uh, was kind of scared by it and I'm really excited to to tell it. It does um, include some uh, violence at the end. So if you are a little hesitant about hearing anything about physical harm, um, then you can skip this one right to the next one, which is going to be a funny one. Um, but it's not so bad. Um, okay, so let's just jump right in. So uh, Sandra was in Louisiana, and Louisiana has a lot of, uh, well, in Mississippi too, basically, a lot of places in the South have, um, you know, a lot of Native American land, cemeteries, uh, a lot of places like that in Mississippi, um, Indian burial grounds, Indian burial grounds, things like that. So uh, one evening, Sandra is out with some friends uh, on this Indian burial ground near Natchez, Mississippi. And she's out there having a good time, trying to have like a spooky experience, you know, wandering around at night. All of a sudden, her mom calls and she says, um, Sandra, I just, um, I, I just want to tell you that uh, tonight, especially tonight, you, you really shouldn't go to any Indian burial grounds. And of course, Sandra's like, wait, what? How do you even know that I'm here? It's a little late for that. And the mom gets very serious. She gets very deep and she says, well, I, I, I never told you this before, but when you were about two years old and your, and your sister was, was around four, we were moving from California to Texas and I stopped at a Native American site. Um, it had an Indian burial ground there and I bought some bracelets there and we were driving and on the way there, somehow the bracelets slipped and disappeared behind the dashboard and the car broke down and I, I couldn't find the bracelets. They were just completely lost and you know, it was a little creepy, but um, I didn't really connect the two un until we got home. And when I got home, you know, your sister was only four years old, and you know she couldn't she couldn't write or anything really, and she she didn't know how to spell. And I saw her kind of talking to herself in the corner. She doesn't have an imaginary friend, you know. I was getting kind of scared, and she's kind of murmuring and speaking to herself, and I see her scribbling something down on a piece of paper. And so I go over there, and I lean over the shoulder, and I see, written on her paper, is the word ghost. G-H-O-S-T. So, of course, Sandra is on the phone, and she hears this story for the first time, and she freaks out. She's, and, and her mom says, never tell your sister. I don't want her to think that she was possessed or that I did something wrong. And so uh, Sandra hangs up the phone. And she's standing there on the Indian burial ground, and she tells her friends this ridiculous story. She says, guys, you're not going to believe this. My mom told me the story. And the friends are there on this uh, certain plantation, which is very creepy, but they were underwhelmed. You know, they, they wanted to have this big, scary, supernatural experience. So what they do is they hear the story about taking the bracelets and they take some rocks from the yard of the Myrtles and they're driving back to New Orleans on some highway in, in nowhere, Louisiana. And along the way, this truck zooms up behind them and hits this concrete point that's basically part of, part of a merge or like an on-ramp and the truck flips over and has a horrible crash in front of them. And the driver's body is flung from the pickup and lands directly in front of their car. The friends panicked and sped on through, not over the body, but around it. And, and they just kept going and they were, you know, frozen with fear and panic. And they, they looked down at the rocks in their hand that they had taken and they immediately rolled down the window and threw it out and left it back. And they were 
convinced that everything was connected, that the bracelets from the burial ground caused um, her uh, Sandra's sister to have uh, an, an experience with a spirit. And they were also convinced that taking the rocks from the burial ground caused this horrible accident to affect them and be right near them. So they did, uh, needless to say, they did not take any more rocks from Indian burial grounds. Okay, guys, we got through the first one. Here's a little story from my brother. Hi, my name is Bruce, and I'm from Utah. One Halloween in 2008, I dressed up as Sarah Palin. I proceeded to drink too much vodka and do a lip sync drag show to all of my friends. I went to bend down in part of my dance move and slung my head back up and my wig flew all the way across the room and hit the host of the party's mother in the face. It was an enjoyable evening I'll never forget. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is the one and only Bruce Prince, my lovely brother. We grew up together in Mississippi, and then he moved all around the states for his job, and now he's living in Utah. Um, So next up is a cool story from my friend Matt Jackson. I've mentioned him before. His musical pseudonym is Tom Yanks. And if you haven't checked out his album Bloom the Grinds on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get your music, you're missing out. I was lucky enough to sing and rap on some of the songs with him. We have a lot of friends, a lot of talented people on it. Um, But he has a great story, and I'm just going to go ahead and let him take it away. Hi, my name's Matt Jackson. I live in Maine right now, but my favorite Halloween story came from Virginia, where I grew up. This isn't just one story. This was an annual tradition. The ghost of Bennington Hollow Lane, every Christmas night when all the kids were done trick-or-treating pretty late night, we would all gather around for a story time. Uh, My dad would tell the story of a a Native American boy. He used to live, you know, in about our neighborhood before the white folks showed up. And, uh, you know, there was a really well thought out backstory that I can't quite remember anymore. It's been a while. But essentially, you know, he, he, he would be out in the woods and he would hear these drums and always go to to try to chase the sound of the drum, but never could catch it, never could find the source. And one day he was chasing the drum and and fell in a ditch or something, or the drum found him. I don't really remember how it ended up, but he died. Never do well. He was never seen again. And, uh, every year on Halloween night, the anniversary of, of him dying or whatever, he, he would, he would emerge and try to find his tribe again. And they made a whole production of it. And there was a real ghost. I have no idea how they did it to this day. But it would be way up above the trees, you know, like 30, 40 feet up. Um, I don't know how to put that in metric. I'm sorry, folks. Dumb American. Um, It was wicked high. And it would be all lit up and looked very cool and like a very convincing ghost. And, you know, they would always say, he's very shy. He won't be around long. And we'd see him and everyone would get quiet for like 10 seconds. Then he'd disappear. And then everyone would chase after him and try to go find where he went. We could never find him. I, you know, whoever, whatever adult was out there doing that, really, that was some good stuff. Hats off to you, adults of the neighborhood. What a neat neighborhood. Shout out Bennington Hollow Lane, rest in Virginia. Good stuff. Fond Halloween memories. Thank you, Matt, so much for that great story. You know, that reminds me, um, when I was a kid, I went to church for years and years with my family. And there's this one Halloween where something really crazy happened. And I, I think I must have buried it in my memory for a long time, but it snuck back up when I was collecting these stories. Um, 
So in the fall in the South, it's common that you take these things called hay bale rides. Basically, someone drives a truck or a Jeep of some kind, and to the back of it, they attach this long flatbed trailer. And basically, they cover the whole thing with with hay, uh, these big hay bales, because everyone had farms around there and stuff. It was easy to get that, and they would pile it on, so it was more comfortable to sit. And you would go in the back, and they would kind of drive everybody around town through the forests and into the city and stuff, kind of like a parade, but stranger. (laughs) And my church orchestrated one, I guess I was about 11 or 12, one evening, and I remember I was sitting in the back with my friend, Tyler, and we were cruising along, and I think it must have been maybe two or three of these flatbed trailers full of kids from our youth section of the church. And I don't know if or how anybody from the church thought this was a good idea, but basically they wanted to give all of us a good scare. And at some point that we were in this thick forested area and the trucks stopped driving. And I thought that the trucks broke down or something. I don't know. Maybe that was an excuse they told us, but the truck stopped and we were talking in the back and you know, you're young and you're with your friends and you think like, okay, well, whatever the issue is, the adults are going to handle it and blah, blah, blah. We were talking about girls and, and whatever, and just, you know, hanging out in the back. And then all of a sudden in the distant woods, we heard these chainsaws revving up and we we were like wow what is that is someone cutting down a tree right now it's it's pitch blackout i mean it must have been like 9 p.m or 10 p.m or something and we started getting a little bit scared and then out of nowhere and i think it was three or four guys with their faces covered came out of the woods towards the trailers with their chainsaws going and i freaked out i freaked out. I thought, I'm going to die. This is like a Jason movie or a Freddy movie or something. This is, someone's going to slaughter me tonight. And I screamed and I panicked and I, I, I didn't know if I should stand up or run or whatever. And then just as the guys with the chainsaws got close enough to the hay bale uh, trailer, then the trucks pulled off and the guys kind of like raced the chainsaws in the air over their heads and they screamed something and they drove off. And it turns out it was all an orchestrated scare. I don't even know if the chainsaws had chains on them. Maybe it was just like the the machine itself, but I will never forget that. That was such a terrifying, terrifying, <laughs> crazy way to scare a bunch of kids in a church. <laughs> oh, man. that It almost reminds me of this other thing my church did that was called uh, Judgment Day, which was also very scary for people, like young people. But I think that was around Easter. So that's not related, relating to this. That's a different, different episode. Um, okay. So that was a little bit more of a serious story about people traumatizing children. Here is a delightful story from my mother about a different kind of experience that she had as a kid. Hi, my name is Margie Prince. I'm Jordan's mom and I live in Counts, Tennessee. My story is about when I was about 12 years old, I went to a friend's house for a Halloween party. A parent would blindfold us and lead us into a room and have us touch stuff 
they said, had come from dead bodies. Going in the room, the floor moved, and then they put my hand in a bowl of what I was told was eyeballs, and then worms, and then guts. I was so grossed out. Later on, we went back to see what was in that room. The floor was paneling over old-timey bed springs. The eyeballs were peeled grapes, worms with spaghetti, and guts were peeled sausages. Boy, is the imagination a wonderful thing. Ah, isn't she a sweetie? You like that accent? I used to have that accent. I don't know when it really washed itself out. I, I think maybe when I was in high school, I was already... I don't know, trying to not have it. Maybe I was, uh, I assume, like a connected accent with like a like an ideology or something I didn't want to be associated with. I don't know. But then when I moved to New Orleans and got into college, then it really cleaned itself out sort of almost naturally. I don't know. Um, but I love you, Mom. That's a great story. And that actually reminds me that, you know, I had this uh, day job at this uh, elementary school here in Munich. And we did that same thing. We would um, blindfold the kids and then take them into this room. And, you know, we had built this cardboard box that had different bowls of, you know, gooey, slimy stuff or whatever and cut holes in the box. And then the kids would just stick their hands in and, and like mush it around. And it's really exciting and it's really fun for them. Um, okay. So this next story comes from a good friend of mine, someone that I haven't seen in a very long time. Um her name is Lauren, and she is from she's from Louisiana, and we met in New Orleans. Um, she was always one of my favorite storytellers, and she always had a great conversation. And I asked her for uh, some stories that we could put into the Halloween show, and she knew exactly uh, the story she wanted to tell. So, without wasting more time, here she is. My name is Lauren. Um, I am currently temporarily living in Asheville, North Carolina at the moment. Um, and yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Anyways. So I was always that kid growing up that was pretty obsessed with ghosts. Um, like really obsessed. I begged my mother for an Ouija board for my uh, seventh birthday and then got it and had a slumber party and you know, had moms calling saying that their children weren't allowed in my house anymore. Um, yeah, it became a pretty huge obsession of mine to, to the point that me and my siblings ended up having, um, some really crazy experiences that we couldn't explain, of course. And it traumatized me so much that I had an extreme fear of spirits and ghosts all the way up until I was probably about 13, 14. The way that I had to cope with that was um, I basically just convinced myself that I had imagined all of it, that it was all in my head, that you know all of these things were just figments of our imagination, our fear, you know, getting... So it was the only way that I could survive, really, because I was so just insanely uh, frightened by, like, everything um, in the shadows and dark, whatever. I couldn't, you know, I had to sleep with my sister every single night uh, for years. So when I go to college, I'm in uh, probably 19 years old, my freshman year at UNO in New Orleans. 
me and my boyfriend move to this badass loft apartment on Esplanade Avenue. And for those who don't know, Esplanade Avenue used to be called Bayou Road. It was the first road, main road in New Orleans. And some of the houses, including my house, were the first houses built on this road. Um, So I move into this apartment. It's like a loft style. The big main room was, you know, 16 foot ceilings, living room at the bottom, bedroom at the top. The bedroom overlooked the living room and it had like a staircase to get up that was more like a kind of like a ladder. Um, Off to the side were the kitchen and the bathroom. And I would say it was probably our third night sleeping there. I wake up to the sound of what seemed like at first someone cooking something in the kitchen. It sounded like a a sizzling on the pan. Um, And as I slowly started to wake up a little bit more, I realized that it wasn't someone cooking. It, It was the water in the shower was on. And I was like, well, that's fucking weird. You know, like who'd be taking a shower? My boyfriend was sleeping right next to me. Um, so it obviously wasn't him, you know, and then as I became more and more awake, I was like, yeah, definitely the shower is on. So I, you know, grab Kenneth's hair and I'm shaking it around. It's all dry. And he's like, you know, slapping me away. And I'm like, and I honestly wasn't even scared at all. Um, in retrospect, you know, cause I had convinced myself that things like that didn't exist. So it wasn't even on my mind, um, as far as like something creepy, right? So I'm like, well, fuck it. Like, you know, I got to do what I got to do. I'm going to go down the stairs and I'm going to go investigate and I'm going to figure it out. So I walk, you know, I climb down the the ladder, um, walk into the bathroom and lo and behold, turn the light on and the shower is on full force. Um, and still not even, not even scared. Just that's strange. So I go and I have to turn both the hot and the cold water off, like, turn they were both twisted at full you know full power and so I'm like well that was really weird and I can't explain that so I'm walking back up the the ladder to get into my loft and I reach my hand up on the very top step and my hand lands in a puddle of water the puddle this water splashes me in the face And that's when it got real, right? I was, that's when the fear took over my body. And I knew that something in this situation was not normal. This was not uh, something I can explain. And it felt very creepy immediately. And so I hopped up the ladder, jumped in my bed, woke my boyfriend up. I was screaming and hollering because I was like, did you take a shower? were you in the shower? Like, please tell me you were. Oh my God. Like what's going on? So he wakes up. He has, you know, obviously did not take a shower, has no idea what I'm talking about. He goes down to investigate, but, and then he, you know, lays in bed with me. I couldn't sleep the entire night. And, and then at that point I just felt this presence in the room and it was very real, just like I was being watched. And yeah, so I called my landlord the next day and he was like, yeah, you know, he actually thought it was funny. Um, he basically told me that I'm not the first person to have had an experience in that apartment that, you know, gave me a little bit of history on the house and who lived there and who died. And there's lots of people who had died, 
And, you know, and his suggestion was, you know, do like everybody else and burn some sage and do your best to coexist. And I was like, okay. So I, you know, went and got my sage and did my little dance and asked the, the spirits to like, let me just coexist with them because I just decorated and I love the apartment. And, you know, basically just asked, like, can we just like chill together and not scare the shit out of each other anymore? And after that, like, you know, I still would feel a presence in the apartment, but it felt safe. It felt good. I think, you know, in retrospect that they just wanted to be known, you know, and just moved in and they were like, Hey, we're here too. like, just want you to know that you're not alone in here. And we got to, you know, make some, give some attention to one another every now and then. Um, but once, you know, I, I had the discussion, I know it sounds crazy, but I am a little crazy and I'm okay with that. Thank you so much to Lauren for that incredible story. You know, I remember being in that house in New Orleans and I remember feeling, I don't know if I remember feeling like particularly a spirit in the house personally. Um, we did stay there a few times and, and, you know, we hung out there a few times and stuff, but I do remember you telling me um, about this spirit. And I really like that story. And I like how you kind of conquered it and you overcame that fear. And I really appreciate that you sent that in. Um, so just to keep this New Orleans vibe rolling a little bit, I want to introduce my friend, George, uh, who is going to tell a pretty different story from this one, but taking place in the same wonderful city. Hi, uh, my name is George, and I live in New Orleans, and this is my uh, Halloween story. Um, this night, uh, this Halloween night must have been about maybe uh, four years ago or so. And uh, basically, uh, me and uh, a large group of friends started out the night by going to City Park here in New Orleans. And uh, we all took some mushrooms uh, to start off the night. And uh, we went off into this big group into City Park. And eventually in the night, me and two other friends just uh, kind of went our own way in the park. And, um, and we were just walking, you know, feeling the breeze. It was a really nice breeze happening. The weather was beautiful. And uh, at one point, you know, we were starting to feel this and we're starting to giggle and start laughing hysterically at nothing. And uh, at one point, one friend of mine is like, you know, this weather is just so amazing. I would just love to feel this without, you know, without my clothes in between. I would love to feel this wind truly in, on my skin. And we were in City Park, obviously, there's people around, there's some people around, it's dark, it's nighttime, so we could probably get away with some funny business. So um, so we talk about, uh, you know, like, uh, basically one friend was like, you know, let's just, let's just bear our asses to the wind just for a little bit of time and just to know, just see how it feels, just to, just to know what what it feels to have that that wind just graze through our asses 
And, uh, and so I remember specifically, we all gathered around, we looked one direction, we all looked one direction and we counted it off one, two, three. And we just bared our asses to the wind on Halloween night. And, uh, and then later laughed our asses off. Um, and, you know, now looking back at it, I wonder how many ghosts uh, and spirits uh, were there to, uh, to enjoy the view. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, George, so much for this great story. Um, when I was asking some friends and family to help be a part of this project, um, you know, some people aren't so comfortable when they have to be in front of a microphone, when people have to tell a story or when they, you know, feel on the spot. And I was so thankful that George here told the story because I really love his stories and he's so sweet. And uh, I really like this story because, you know, it reminds me of so many Halloweens in New Orleans and so many of these kinds of evenings. You know, because the funny thing about New Orleans is that it's, almost Halloween most of the year. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, especially during Mardi Gras, that's pretty comparable to Halloween in a way. You know, everyone is dressed up. There's parties all weekend. Um, of course, everyone's drinking. There's always a lot of people that take drugs. There's always you know, something to do, good people around, being at the park, um, surrounded by, you know, just lovely, fun, interesting people. So, it really put me back in the in the zone a little bit, like in these memories of New Orleans. I was trying to think about uh, specific Halloweens that I spent in New Orleans. I think the one that really sticks out the most might be one of the very first ones that I ever spent there. Um, you know, when I had moved from Mississippi to New Orleans, there was about a year where I wasn't in school and I was just, um, you know, acclimating to the area and making new friends and trying to meet musicians and kind of make a new life. Um, but there was the first few months where I was just really like lonely and I was with my parents all the time and I was traveling back home a lot. And around October, yeah, yeah, around Halloween, that first year, my friend Cody visited and he stayed with us for, I don't know, a few days. And around Halloween every year in New Orleans, there's the Voodoo Festival. And the lineups over the years have really changed the kinds of people that come there. But in 2009, I want to say, there was a Voodoo Festival when Cody came. And there were these amazing bands on the roster. And the number one band that we were dying to see was the Flaming Lips. We were huge fans, and we are huge fans. And this was sort of a like a primo, once-in-a-lifetime sort of opportunity to see these guys. I mean, you know, they're older now. Who knew if they were ever going to break up or something? And, you know, you hear you hear stories about how this band is live, and you you it's just such an experience. But I remember Cody visited... And my parents dropped us off at the front gate at, at City Park where they um, where they held the festival. And 
we got out and, you know, we had like a little weed pipe <laughs> with just like the tiniest amount, uh, cause we thought it was so risky and so cool to do it at a music festival. And, you know, I think it was both of our real first times, like going into a bigger city and doing something like this. And we were so excited and we went in, um, I remember that we, you know, we had, we got a few beers and we saw a few different, um, concerts here and there. I forgot who else, like, I know there was a few other great bands that we really got into, but the big show was of course Flaming Lips. And what we did was we waited, uh, I think there was like a band before them that was starting their set. And we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to fight our way all the way to the front row of this band and then wait there while this stage remains empty for the concert on the other side of the park. And then we'll be here in the front row for when the Flaming Lips start. And that's what we did. We fought all the way to the front. We got to the front railing, like just before where the photographers can stand and stuff. And we just plopped down and we just stayed there. And we smoked a little and we got into like a cool vibe and we were so excited and really, you know, kind of nervous. And I remember that the concert started in this insane way where this giant round screen came to the front of the stage and it had all these LED lights and it had this, there was like this crazy deep booming synth bass that was kind of, you know, uh, encapsulating everyone and everything and it was just booming out like and on the screen the pixels were flashing around and doing like sunbursts and things and then all of a sudden it kind of formed into the shape of a woman a naked woman and she was walking and it was very sensual and almost like slow motion and this and still the sound on top is and I remember that the screen, like, it almost seemed to get bigger. And it turned into this woman who was dancing. All of a sudden, she was, like, like moving and swinging hips. And she was shaking her head. And it was really, like, crazy to see this. And all of a sudden, she sits back on her on her butt and puts her arms behind her. And then she... <laughs> And then she spreads her legs open, of course, flaming lips, you know, and uh, the kind of the lights zoom in like a camera would and go in between her legs. And all of a sudden, like the screen is just bursting almost on fire and everything goes bright and the lights are flashing and everyone's cheering because they know what's coming. And then they roll this ramp right up to where her vagina was. And the screen um, that's projecting her is a door and the band comes out of her <laughs> which was so cool. <laughs> I had never seen anything like that. And then the lead singer, Wayne Coyne, like he comes out finally after the band uh, gets arranged. And he, of course, famously gets inside his giant plastic bubble and they blow up the air and then he walks over the crowd. And I remember that they played, um, oh, what's that? Oh man. Oh, Race for the Prize. Race for the Prize was the first song. We loved this song. We were singing it at the top of our lungs. Wayne Coyne was in the bubble and he was like walking over the crowd. He walked over us and then they got him off. And I mean, this was for me, like the definition of everything that I want to be and be a part of and see for the rest of my life. And I remember at one point during the concert, I was so excited and happy. And I, cr I actually had tears in my eyes. I couldn't believe how like exhilarating and like kinetic this whole thing was and a photographer turned around and saw me and I was like staring at the thing and singing and like crying and laughing and I looked at them and I got nervous for a second and I was like uh, oh uh, I, you know maybe I'm in trouble maybe or whatever you know I got taken out of the mood 
But then the photographer was like, no, no, just ignore me. Just watch them. And then, you know, without even a hesitation, I was just completely back in the moment. And I remember it's, I don't know if it was for some magazine or something, but they, they took some photos of me and Cody and yeah, the concert was just, just unbelievable. I mean, for me, it feels like it lasted for days. It was just so much, um, stimuli going on. I mean, there was like at some point a woman was dan like there was groups of people dancing in like these bear or dog outfits. And at some point, like one of them stripped down naked and she was dancing naked on stage. And then the security removed her and, um, that people were in like these giant mascot costumes and they had confetti guns and, oh, I've just never seen anything like that before. It was just incredible. Um, and that was like my first real Halloween time, I think, that I had ever spent, um, you know, in New Orleans and it was with like my best friend and I went to Voodoo Fest for, you know, two or three more years after that. And it was always a bit different. It was always with like different people, different friends and different experiences and things like that, different bands. But um, yeah, that was just a really special one. And I know this, you know, it's kind of a sweet story, but it's just one of my favorite Halloween moments. And um, what I'd like to do now is to tell you a great spooky story from our very own Moritz Binder. Um, He wanted me to read the story but um, he says that this story 100% happened to him, and I believe him. Um, this was an extremely interesting thing for me to learn about from him and to hear about, and um, I really hope you like it. Um, so I'm gonna. This is. I'm gonna try and tell it from from Moritz's perspective. So he writes. This happened in 2004. I think, or 2003. I was on vacation with my girlfriend and we drove down to Croatia. I was 21, maybe 22 years old. And we came into a small town, not really a touristic one. And we took the cheapest apartment that we could find. It was really small and dark and kind of sad. And also the couple who owned the house, they, they also seemed sad. They lived downstairs the apartment was on the second floor. And the moment that I entered the apartment, I felt really tired and weak. I slept for almost two days, and I, and I still didn't feel refreshed, and, and my girlfriend felt the same. I felt old and sad. There was this deep, depressing mood that was just hanging over us in the air. And it was strange, because we were young, and, and this was our vacation. I mean, it was a hot summer. But the apartment just felt like a, like a cold, sad trap. I think it was our third night. My girlfriend and I had a really, really bad fight over nothing. You know, in the middle of the night. And I got up and decided I was going to sleep in the car. There was just a candle next to the bed as the only light source in the room. I got up, I put on my shirt, and I reached for the door. And she was lying on the bed behind me. And I turned my head to say goodbye. And in that moment, the candlelight danced and shook. And my girlfriend wasn't there anymore. On the spot where she was lying was an old, old woman. White nightdress, white long hair, lying in bed as if she was dead. I was shocked. 
And in the exact same moment, my girlfriend was terrified because she saw me as an old white-haired man leaving the room. We saw each other in the exact same moment as different people. Maybe an, an old couple who, who lived there before? I don't know. We left the apartment the next morning and, and all the energy just came flooding back. All the warmth of the sun and life itself just came back to our bodies like we were under a spell for the last three days. And... I don't know, it just, it happened 16 or 17 years ago, but it's just still in my head. And back then I imagined that, that maybe that was like the last moment of an old couple, like saying goodbye forever. And we accidentally saw it like a, like a photo or something. I don't know. I sound like a weirdo. Okay. Thank you, Moritz, so much. That's a fantastic story. And I'm really glad that nothing worse happened than that. Oh, man. I love ghost stories like that. And sometimes I can get really obsessed with them, especially when there's this, you know, this depressive sort of cloudy mood um, is a reoccurring scenario in a lot of the more realistic uh, stories that I hear. And um, I do believe you that you saw this old lady and she saw you as an old man. I think that's really interesting. And in the perspective that maybe you saw them in this sort of last moment together is really, um, really, it's kind of beautiful and it's also kind of sad at the same time. And, um, I'm just really glad that you got out of there and you lived to tell the tale. Now we are going to take a slight turn here with a lovely woman named Evie, who, if you're a recurring listener of the show, you've probably heard us talk about many times, but maybe never heard her voice on the show. And she's got a funny story about how she's, really fighting to bring Halloween into the German mentality. I'll let her take it from here. Hey, I'm Ify. I live in Munich. I'm very sick right now, but I don't have corona. Um, so as some people might know, I'm Jordan's wife. And I really love Halloween. I really got into it when we lived in New Orleans. And then when Jordan moved to Germany with me, I wanted him to really feel at home. So I decided to celebrate all American holidays over here. Um, and I love all holidays. So this was for both of us, I guess. Um, so the first year we were back in Munich, like about five years ago, we had these grand plans to start a new tradition by having a Halloween party at our house and we wanted it to be like super epic and amazing. We got really excited. So we decorated the whole house with um, spider webs and like creepy stuff. We made all this crazy food. Um, we had like pumpkins that were puking. We had like witch fingers and like eyeball punch. And then we invited all our friends and um, <clears throat> I guess they were mostly or all German at the time. And they were all like, we don't like to dress up. It's like silly, blah, blah, blah. And I got super down because they really burst my bubble. But we still had the party with, I guess, like five people that found us super silly, except for my sister. She's actually really also also really into Halloween. And she likes dressing up and everything. So I'm very glad I had her. But yeah, so we basically had this very small party um, and we decided to not give up. We just have to do it again. So we did it again. It was very pathetic again. But then after maybe like two years, 
We made more friends that were from different countries. And then things started to change because all of our American and British and Australian friends, they were also really into Halloween. And then the party started to pick up. And I was less bothered about all my old like German friends who were still complaining about having to dress up. I mean, having to dress up is like, isn't that like just super fun? But anyway, um, so last year, I would say we like reached the peak of success <clears throat> um, because the whole apartment was like stuffed with people who were super excited about Halloween um, and like everybody like helped us decorate the house even more. Like one couple, they, they're like super into Halloween there. They're actually German, like, well, well half Brazilian, so. Um, but they even gave us this, like, gory, bloody shower curtain, and it was great. Um, so everybody get dressed up, super cool, like, they really put a lot of effort in it. And um, we had these old movies playing on the projector, and everybody was into all the crazy food and drinks, and we danced a lot until, like, super late in the morning. And um, it was just a really good house party. And then we were like, hey, finally, we've made it. Our Halloween party is awesome. People already, people are like super excited about next year. We did it. Um, and like, we can't wait for next year. And then 2020 happened. Everything went to shit. And all the momentum we gained for the last like five years is gone because we can't have a party this year. But I guess I hope that this only means that next year is going to be even more epic. We're not going to give up. That's right. Damn it. We are not going to give up. Um, it's actually her story leads perfectly into the next one that I want to talk about. It's from a writer that wishes to remain anonymous. And I'm going to give her the name Shannon. So Shannon is a German and she feels very differently about Halloween uh, than Ify does. So here we go. It was last year, a Friday night, and my best friend had invited me to her legendary Halloween party. Now, you have to know, I hate Halloween. Or rather, I, I just don't understand why you should dress up, you know, as ugly and disgusting as possible and then be afraid of other people who probably had the same thoughts when choosing their costume. But it's my best friend's favorite party in the year, and because her parties are always good. I, I, I couldn't be out of town again on October 31st. So I went and I baked these little mummy sausages and I, I put on a sexy spider woman costume and I poured artificial blood all over my head. In the kitchen, there were pumpkins puking yellow pasta, a punch bowl that looked like it had been eaten before um, or eaten already, uh, bloody hot dog sausage fingers and a, and a brain pie with fake maggots. I, I added my meat mummies and uh, I had basically lost my appetite. But my craving for alcohol grew. And as I was looking for something drinkable, I discovered this guy who was just putting his uh, second sausage finger on his plate. And he looked at me and he asked, Hey, what's, uh, what's your costume supposed to be? And I, I don't know what I was thinking at this moment, but I said, I'm a black widow and I just ate my man. What about your costume? And somehow my answer didn't completely scare him away. He just laughed and he said, um, interesting. Um, well, uh, I'm a Colombian and I'm dressed like a Colombian. And, uh, to be honest, I just hate Halloween and, uh, I had no fancy idea for a costume. 
he wasn't dressed up at all. <laughs> uh, but we understood each other and we, we got along really well. And, um, you know, I wasn't eating, so I got pretty drunk pretty fast. And uh, we danced until everyone else was asleep. And uh, eventually we made out on my friend's balcony. Um, later we staggered to my place and we drank a bit more and we continued kissing and, uh, we went into the bedroom and I was starving because I hadn't eaten anything, but I just kept ignoring my stomach. And, uh, the Colombian guy took these cobwebs out of my hair and I took off his shirt and then he tugged at the zipper of my dress and I at the buttons of his pants. And we laid in my bed and he started kissing me all over and he slowly moved down until I felt his head between my legs. And it felt pretty good, and I, I let him do it and, and, until suddenly he started talking. And first I thought that maybe I, I misunderstood something, and, and then I was sure, I was sure I understood words like nasty and uh, tasty. And then one phrase just came loud and clear from down there. He said, Mmm, your pussy tastes delicious. <laughs> well, uh, guess what? I wasn't so hungry anymore. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, Shannon, so much for this uh, great story. <laughs> oh man, I, this is a really fun uh, Halloween story. Um, yeah, so basically what I'd like to do now is uh, introduce one of my oldest and best friends of all time. His name is Cody, and I mentioned him her earlier when we talked about um, going to Voodoo Fest in New Orleans. Um, well, he has a really interesting story he wants to tell about the night before he came down. So, ladies and gentlemen, the incredible Cody Hopper. Hi, my name is Cody Hopper, and my story takes place a few days before Halloween 2011 in Oxford, Mississippi, United States of America, Earth. Me and my roommates had traveled to Oxford to watch Portugal the Man play at the venue The Lyric, I believe. Well, that's what we're going to call it. But most shows around Halloween, people dress up in costumes. And we went uh, as a group. So we went as Team Zissou from Life Aquatic with uh, Steve Zissou. Uh, we had our own characters because we couldn't find movie-accurate costumes. So we just were like, oh, we'll just make up our own team of Zissou characters because it's just baby blue shirt and uh, red hat. Real easy costume. I think I had an Elmo fanny pack. We won't get into that. It's irrelevant. Um, but anyway, so we're, we watched the Portugal the Man show. It's amazing. Everybody's in costumes. It's spooky. It's great. And then when we're, but when we're walking back to our ride, we hear down this alley, Becca! Oh no! Becca! Becca's dead! Yeah, wasn't that dramatic? Uh, but, I mean, it was close to that drama. It may not have been those exact words, but it was somebody, some drunk woman freaking out about their friend Becca, who they think is dead. Because she is laying on the ground non-responsive. 
and we are walking up. So she sees us walking up in these matching baby blue outfits, and she immediately assumes we're paramedics. Now, we are not in a mental state to be dealing with this situation. We were just at a show. We are intoxicated. Uh, you know, it's not not a place where we want to go talk to police or deal with an emergency or see a death, you know, witness a dead body. I'm not in the right mindset for that right now, and I'm stone cold sober. But anyway, um, so she's screaming, back, oh, you got to help. Oh, thank God the ambulance is here. And we're like, we are not ambulance. We are not ambulance. We are not nurse. We are not doctor. We are not a medic. No, we're, if we're, if we're having a hard time comprehending the situation even, but she's like, Becca, you got to get up. Becca's not moving. We're thinking Becca is dead. And we tell her, I, we can call the police, but I'm not sure it's good for us to stay here until they get there. And so we're like trying to be like, Becca, no, Becca, get up. Come on, Becca. Come on, Becca. We're starting to freak out because Becca's not moving. We are witnessing death in our eyes. We think that Becca has tripped and fallen. We didn't get a backstory. We just know Becca's on the ground. She's not bleeding. We just think she's dead. Her friend knows Becca better than we do. She would know if she's dead or not. You know, she's been around her. And so we're like really freaking out. And I'm like, finally, like, oh, I guess like, okay, I'll call I'll call the cops. Uh, and I went and like felt for a pulse, but I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling, actually feeling a pulse or what. And also I don't want to be touching this body if it is dead. But uh, I was like, okay, there's kind of a pulse there. So I guess she is. And then all of a sudden Becca just, oh, oh my God, what happened? How did, who did somebody push me? Why am I on the ground? And we are just like, okay, so Becca is alive. Then we we are gone. We I cannot be here for this. Becca, we're so glad you're alive. Oh, my God. Becca, you're alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty spooky story. We're like, we're not. We're trying to explain. We are not anybody important. Please do not follow us. Please do not count on us. We can, we're not dependable. <laughs> Oh, that was a lot. I feel like I ruined it at the end there. Could have just stopped. Then I drove overnight all the way through the night to New Orleans and then didn't have any sleep. We went to Voodoo Fest the next day where we met you, Jordan. And I was so exhausted and I was out of my mind at that point. Uh, but we were watching the Tours play. And there's a part in the song, I think Carolina Drama or some name, something like that. And, but where it, it, like the crowds just started going, na, 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 yeah, over and over again. And it felt like he made the crowd do that for like an hour and it felt very witchy, felt very spooky. That was actually the spookiest part of Halloween was just looking at Jack White. What a ghost of a man. What a specter. Ugh. Anyway, uh, happy Halloween, Jordan. Uh, I hope, yeah, figure out a way to make it fun uh, in the worst year since time. Worst year since time, I'll say it. That's official. Coming for me.
Oh, one more thing. I love you. Oh, I love you too, buddy. Thanks for the great story. Um, I think I remember you telling me that, the the crazy Becca story, but I, I had forgotten about all the details, so that's really great. Um, so the next story is kind of a two-part situation between uh, I'm going to tell part of my friend's story for him, and then he's going to speak for himself. Um, he's this really talented drummer and percussionist from New Orleans. His name is Nick Solnick. You can hear him on my 2018 record, 12 Songs for 12 Friends. So he is such a, like, from the blood sort of Louisiana guy, kind of like the same way that Lauren is. And this spookiness, this this ghost mentality of New Orleans is very present, if, even in people like Nick, who are very different from Lauren and really don't connect or open up so much to that side of things. But Nick told me that um, ever since he was a kid, you know, he was very suspicious uh, about ghosts and kind of kept away from the whole idea. So I was texting him last night and he gave me a little bit of uh, insight to the world he had. And he didn't even know that this was kind of the stories we were looking for for this episode. Um, basically, he was saying that the only thing he could think about, the only story that he could imagine being able to tell was that the year after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, that you could look into a lot of the mausoleums in New Orleans, the above-ground cemeteries, and you could see the skeletons. Now, for those who don't know, New Orleans has above-ground cemeteries because the bodies would float otherwise because of the it being under sea level and loose soil and things like that. And he said you could look into them and see skeletons at Holt Cemetery, which is the known as the Poor People Cemetery, you could see bones sticking out of the ground. And interesting fact, Buddy Bolden, the self-proclaimed inventor of the word jazz, is buried there. So Nick used to live on the corner of Bienville and City Park Avenue, and there are like five cemeteries surrounding him. And he said that in this house he lived in, that around 2.30, 3 a.m., Every single morning, it sounded like someone was going down the stairs. He said, also, if it were late at night, then the kitchen would always be very cold, even in the summer. And that means a lot for New Orleans. Nothing is ever cold in New Orleans. Uh, He said one time he and his friend Pat were hanging out in the hallway in this house, and one of the roommate's doors starts shaking intensely back and forth, but the roommate wasn't even there. Um, interesting enough, another uh, pretty cool fact about the house, he said that it used to be home for the, the colored waifs, which was the um, black orphan community in New Orleans, and Louis Armstrong was there when he was a child. He told me to say, no bullshit. Um, he, and he only recently found out about the Louis Armstrong thing. But Louis Armstrong was in the, um, the colored waifs home. You can, you can Google that. It's very interesting. Um, it was a juvenile detention center for for black orphans specifically. Um, but he says the house definitely had a spooky vibe, maybe because he was surrounded by the cemeteries. Um, it definitely felt sketchy ar- around the 2.33 a.m. mark. He said he would hear footsteps. There was the cold kitchen. He was afraid to look out of the window at night because it overlooked the cemetery. And ghosts just always freaked him out. Um and so that's that's the main chunk of his experience with this ghostly world of New Orleans. But he did send me a story that happened to him when he was a kid. And I'm going to play that for you right now. 
Okay, so this doesn't have to do with New Orleans, but when I lived in Virginia Beach with my mom, one time um, we had gotten one of those TV mounts for the wall. And this is back before flat screen TVs. This is when TVs were heavy as hell. Um, and uh, we installed it. And it was right next to my bed. And I remember I went to sleep that night and uh, I was always sketched out with my room. I always thought there was ghosts, you know, but I've always been super, I've always been really superstitious about ghosts. Well, uh, I went to sleep that night and I woke up to the words, watch out for things that are falling. When I opened my eyes, the TV fell right in front of my face and so I immediately walked out of my room, got my mom, and I was like, I'm not fucking sleeping in my room until we get rid of that fucking TV. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Thank you so much, Nick, for that really cool story. Um, and just to clarify, he did give me some details after he sent that voice message to me. He said, because I asked him, um, when he heard this, watch out for things that are falling. I asked, you know, was it written in front of your eyes, you know, like in dust or something? Was it on the wall? How did you wake up to this and he said no it was like someone said it to me i heard the words and it woke me up i thought oh that was really interesting he said yeah i opened my eyes and the tv fell right in front of my face and he says a lot of the kids in that neighborhood said that they thought their houses were haunted so very interesting um he said he's not sure of the neighbor uh, the history of the neighborhood but even when he would go visit uh, he hated going to his old room it just freaked him out and he was a senior in high school when that happened um Thank you so much, Nick, again for that. And I would like to pass the torch now to another very good friend of mine, also from New Orleans. Uh, he's an actor, and you can see him in the feature film Easy Does It featuring Linda Hamilton. It's on iTunes right now. Go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Paul Martinez. <laughs> All right, so this is the deal. It's Matthew Martinez here with a little spooky Halloween story from what I'm going to guess was 2012. Let's call it 2012. Me and a group of friends, Halloween weekend, let's say five of us, go on down to the Voodoo Music Festival on Halloween night. First step. Buy all the mushrooms we can. At least 3.5 grams. That's an eighth of mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms for us. We're each going to have them. We're going to take them at the festival and we're going to enjoy some rock and roll music. Honk, honk, honk. It's Steve-O in the car. Hey, dude, get in the car, bro. We're going to the Halloween music festival. Yo, says Kirk. Where's your Halloween costume? Little Matthew panics, runs back in his house. At the time in 2012, the Sham Wow guy was very famous because he, you know, he invented the Sham Wow rag. I had a huge piece of gray fabric, so I cut a hole in it, stuck my head through it, and scribbled Sham Wow with a marker on it and ran out the house. What's that? It's the Sham Wow costume. Ha <laughs> ha, come on, get in. We get to the festival, it's about five of us. We get in our little circle. We dish out. Each each person has an eighth of mushrooms. Everybody eats their mushrooms. I eat my whole bag, and I look around. And I notice no one else finished their mushrooms. Well, I didn't know any better. So I said, here, give me all those bags. And I finished everyone else's mushrooms. Bad idea. 
Steve-O says, hey, let's get front row spots. No one's over here at this stage. We get in the front row for a band that I don't know who's going to be. At this time, I don't care. Getting high on mushrooms. The crowd starts following in. I'm not noticing because I'm high on mushrooms. Sun starts to go down. It starts to get spooky. A camera flies over the crowd just as legendary band Kiss comes on stage and Gene Simmons with his big tongue, his massive tongue, because that was high on mushrooms. How y'all doing? And the camera showed the crowd on the big screen where I could tell I was about 500 people behind me stuck deep in the crowd of Kiss while these like... Scary people in costumes were like looking and ooh. And the problem with my ShamWow costume was that everybody was looking at it, trying to figure out what it was. At this point, I'm in complete panic mode already because of the huge crowd that's in. Then legendary band Kiss starts to play and I immediately realize I fucking hate Kiss. What is this obnoxious music? These costumes, the fireworks, this is all way too much for my senses. I turn to my buddy Roy. We got to get out of here, Roy, who turns back to me in what felt like slow motion. I don't think we can get out of here, man. It's when I panicked. I turned, I pushed over some girl, I kicked some kid, and I got my ass out of there. Ran through a crowd of people who were all, for some reason, enjoying legendary band Kiss. When I got out, the most cinematic moment ever was the kid upset, took off my ShamWow costume, threw it in the garbage can, and walked home. And that is my spookiest Halloween ever. Oh, Matthew, that is just spooky ooky, brother. I'm sorry that you got trapped in there, and I'm also sorry that you took like 10 pounds of mushrooms, but it's almost like you got punished a little bit for doing that, you know? You should have known better. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I was actually at that concert. It was the most people I had ever seen, so I can understand that you were freaking out. Uh, thank you, Matthew, for that story. Well told. Well told, as always. Um, I want to bring back someone that we just heard before, uh, Lauren. She has a second story, and I really love how she expresses um, her feelings about ghosts and how uh, how she connects to that to that world. So um, this is the second story from Lauren, and it's about her mother. All right, one of my favorite ghost stories was actually. Um, from when I was a child, but it happened to my mother. And of course she could tell it better, but I'll do my best to, I've heard it so many times and I've told it so many times that hopefully it comes out pretty well. Um, so this was probably 1998 and I was seven or eight years old. We move into a home in Broussard, Louisiana, and it is an old house, very old house, probably built in the, you know, 1910s, and it's one of the biggest ones on the main street. 
we move in um, December, right before Christmas. My mom has her 31st birthday and she goes out that night, January 13th. She comes home and everyone's sleeping. You know, me and my three siblings are all passed out. Her boyfriend, um, who we lived with, he's sleeping in their master bedroom. She goes into the living room, you know, has like a little buzz, had been drinking, had a few drinks with friends, starts to do some, you know, there's laundry on the couch. So she decides to start folding clothes. Well, connected to the living room are these two French doors and we were kind of using that room for storage. We, we hadn't really found a use for it yet. And, um, we just, it just, I don't know. There was something about that room that felt a little separate from the rest of the house. So she's folding clothes and she notices the door, one of the French doors creak open and not thinking much about it. She kind of walks over to it, um, to close it. But before she does, she opens it wider and steps into the room and because she noticed that the air in that room was um, very different in temperature. Like it was stuffy. It was hot. She couldn't quite figure out why it felt so different. So she turns the light on. And as soon as she turns the light on, she just came over with this presence that was in in that room. And and she just knew that there was something, some kind of energy, some entity, something that was staring at her. And she immediately called out, hello, is someone in here? Hello? Because she just knew, like, just the feeling of it was so real to her. She had to to ask. And, of course, she got no answer back. But, you know, she's like, oh, my God, I'm crazy. So she turns the light off. She closes both French doors. And she's like, I'm going to bed. Like, I just, I need to get some sleep. So she goes down the hallway, goes into her master bedroom. Well, that the creepy room has two other sets of French doors on the other, on, you know, from a separate place in the, on the, in the hallway that literally is directly across from her master bedroom door. So she crawls into bed, you know, closes her bedroom door and she falls asleep. Well, she wakes up and she's sleeping on her side, facing her bedroom door and it's wide open. And she stares directly across the hallway to see the French doors of that other room also wide open. And this is enough to scare the shit out of anyone, right? Well, she's, she's frozen. She can't move. She's like, I know for a fact that I cl- both of those doors were, were closed. The French doors and my bedroom door were closed. She finally wiggles her way to move and she's able to get out of bed. And she's like, I, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep unless I close them both. So she closes all the doors. She gets back in bed and can't sleep, right? She's just like feeling really freaked out. Well, probably 30 minutes go by. She doesn't really know the time at this point. Her bedroom door starts to creak open. And she literally just stares at the door as it opens up very, very slowly. And this energy, this only the way she can describe it, it, she says it's 
it was a feeling first. She felt it first. And, and as she felt this, it was like a draft, like a hot, warm draft coming into her bedroom through the hall, from the hallway. And she said that it's, it slowly started to swirl in front of her bed. And it was just like this white light or like a gray, I guess gray. Cause she said it was like translucent. It was, you know, she could see through it, but it started to swirl and make, you know, these circle circular motions right at the foot of her bed. And she said she was paralyzed. She could not move her body. She was just in intense fear. She couldn't scream. She couldn't do anything. All she could do was just watch this figure form. And she said slowly, but surely she started to see, it started to, to shape into the figure of a man. And she slowly started to see facial features pop out that, you know, was recognizable as an old man in front of her. And she said the feeling, it did not feel safe. She felt threatened by this figure and slowly she started feeling hands around her throat, like she was being strangled and she felt the pressure just push deeper and deeper and deeper into her esophagus, into her throat. And she couldn't breathe. Oh Oh my God, my car just scared the shit out of me. So eventually as she stuck and she said, it felt like a lifetime, like she thought she was going to die, but eventually she got the scream out and she went from silent to just full on deadly, deathly scream. And of course this wakes up William, you know, her boyfriend who's, you know, laying next to her, he wakes up and he's, ah, he screams too. And, but the figure just slow, you know, as soon as that, as soon as she started screaming, the figure basically morphed back into the circular motion and then swept out of her bedroom down the hallway. So when, by the time William was, you know, freaking out and trying to figure out what was going on. The, 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 the entity had already left the room. So my mom is just screaming her freaking head off and she cannot believe what just happened. And she can't process, you know, something you can't even process it. Right. It's like, what the heck? There's no explanation. And she's trying to come up with any explanation. And he of course can't, you know, is trying to comfort her and make her feel like maybe she imagined it or, you know, but he, but eventually he did believe her, of course, that night and, and was like, okay, like, what do you want to do about this? You know, how do we, how do we proceed? Like he went around the house with a bat and looked for, you know, to make sure that no one was in the house. Um, and of course he found nothing and she felt like the presence wasn't in her room anymore, but you know, and he held her for the rest of the night and the next morning, um, they, they got a priest <laughs> and my mom is, you know, not a Catholic woman, you know, she's Christian, but she, they found a Catholic priest to come in and bless every room in that, in that house. Um, it traumatized her. She, she was shaken up for months after that, but we didn't, of course she kept it from us because she wanted to protect us. She didn't want us to, you know, be burdened by that story and not be able to live there comfortably. Now, of course we got the story eventually from my cousins, you know, that goes, but that house was haunted. I, I would wake up and I would say this is where my ghost obsession 
really, yeah, it started before that, but I'd say it really was in full swing at this house. This is also the house that I begged my mom for an Ouija board, you know, and we'd, we'd have, you know, um, talks with spirits all night through this thing, you know, um, there's no explanation. I can't say if this stuff is, is real or not, but it feels very real to me. Whew. Thank you so much, Lauren, for that incredible story. You had me frozen in my seat listening to that one, and especially when the car had a weird sound right at the moment that the ghost was choking your mom. I freaked out and jumped in my chair. Um, yeah, let's, you know what? My brother sent me another funny story. Let's just lighten the mood, get it back into like a cool, uh, nice moment here. And uh, here's Bruce again. In 2010, I dressed up as Peter Pan. I went to visit my cousin in Kentucky for Halloween and put on the costume. I forgot to put on pants and subsequently introduced myself to everyone as Peter Pantsless. I then drank too much vodka, invited all of her neighbors over, many of which she had never met, and ended up spending the rest of the night face down on a cold patio throwing up in her yard. Thank you, Bruce, yet again for a very insightful, beautiful story. Um, that's my brother, ladies and gentlemen, and I love him very much. Um, okay, so we've got one more story for you, and I would just like to say thank you so much for listening to this show, and if you like it, like I said at the beginning, you can support us for as low as $3 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash jordanprince, and you can support the show there, and you can get some exclusive content. Um, We may or may not have some interesting video content coming soon, which you can have uh, early access to, and so on and so forth. So thank you so much for listening. This last story is, I I can't imagine a greater one to end on for the kind of humor that you tend to hear on the show. Uh, It was curated by uh, our very own Moritz Batscheider. Thank you so much, Mo. Uh, sorry that you could not be on the show this time. I know that you had a very busy schedule, um, but I did enjoy getting to sit here and, and put um, some of these stories together. And uh, thank you to my friends and the family who sent them in. Um, if you would like to submit your own story for our next um, for the next time that we call out for stories, you can follow us on Instagram at artsyfartsyimmigrants, and there we will do shout-outs for stories such as uh, the ones you've heard today for future episodes and different themes. This last story comes from a colleague of Moe's. His name is Michael, and he had a very interesting Halloween. So to tell you about my Halloween kind of weird story whatever happened there was we were sitting down at the dinner table just some friends hanging out having some beers some coke doing basically nothing just waiting for little kids to to bang on the door and ask for some candy we play some video games but then like the evening went on and one of the guys had a lot of beers like seven or eight and then we were it's rural Bavaria, so you know what's going on. And he was like, you dare not to drink goat piss. And we were like, what is he going on about? Because we were like, there's no goats here, right? Right? And then he was like, well, actually, 
Then we went downstairs. He showed us his garden and there were two goats. He was like, I dare you to drink that goat piss. And we were like, nah, forget it. What the fuck is wrong with you? And he was like, well, just take a look. And he went and he he took the goat. He brought it to the barn where the normal place is where they take their piss and somehow they get triggered when they get there. So they take a leak. He puts down a bucket. The goat pisses into the bucket and he sips it. And he's like, yeah, that's Halloween, boys. And we're like, what is going on? Like, I don't even remember what the theme of the Halloween was. Like, I don't remember anybody, what anybody had as costumes. But boy, this guy, he rocked it. Yeah, that's basically all I remember from that eve. Okay, guys, that's it. That concludes the Halloween special from Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I am your host, Jordan Prince. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all my friends and family who submitted stories. Uh, again, follow us on Instagram at artsyfartsyimmigrants. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash jordanprince. And thank you to Mo for editing and producing the show and putting it all together. And everybody, have a happy, safe, fun Halloween. Try and have the most fun that you can given the, cir- the circumstances that we're under. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Artsy, fartsy, immigrant.